Last week, Brazilians woke up to the news that President Jair Bolsonaro had checked into a hospital in Brasilia suffering from abdominal pain. Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro has been hospitalized and might need emergency surgery. Multiple reports gave conflicting accounts on the president's health, including social media posts from Bolsonaro's own sons. Was the president okay? Was he going to need surgery? When was he getting out? The press and the population were left almost completely in the dark. And it reminded us that when it comes to President's health conditions, transparency is scarce in Brazil. My name is Ewan Marshall, standing in for Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. For the first couple of weeks in June, President Jair Bolsonaro suffered from hiccups that were persistent enough to affect his speech. And then, last week, he checked into the hospital in the early hours of Wednesday. Of course, a president's health is no trivial matter, and quickly political observers started to speculate about what exactly was wrong with the president. Bolsonaro had reportedly felt abdominal pain for several days and wanted to investigate the problem. But many were afraid that there was something more serious afoot, considering the president's medical history. In 2018, while on the campaign trail, Bolsonaro was stabbed in the abdomen with a kitchen knife, suffering multiple perforations to his intestines and coming very close to losing his life. So initially, his son said the injury was superficial, but then he was taken to surgery and doctors said his intestines were hit. Now, after this attack, he had to wear a colostomy bag for months and underwent multiple procedures to correct hernias and complications from those wounds. Now, last week, the perception that something very serious could be happening was fueled by initial medical reports, which were extremely vague but made reference to a bowel obstruction which may require emergency surgery. Now, Senator Flavio Bolsonaro, who is the president's eldest son, he admitted that his dad was briefly intubated and placed in an intensive care unit, while adding that that was just a precaution. Government officials, meanwhile, denied this showing us that somewhere along the line, someone was lying. Now, surgery to correct a bowel obstruction would be no trifling matter for Bolsonaro. He's 66 years old and has undergone half a dozen surgeries in the last two years alone. The procedure would be risky. Now, regardless of how severe Bolsonaro's case was, it seems that whenever it comes to the president's health, the Brazilian public starts to get a bit suspicious, giving rise to a series of conspiracy theories. To discuss this, we're speaking today to André Pagliarini, lecturer at Dartmouth College and a columnist for the Brazilian Report. André, tell me, are the Brazilian public kind of justified to be wary when it comes to Bolsonaro's health? When it comes to news stories about President Bolsonaro's health, um, there are a few reasons why uh, people are generally a little bit wary of what they're hearing. And I think there are at least two major reasons, one of them broadly historical and one of them very specific to this president and the way he operates. The broadly historical reasoning, I think, has to do a lot with uh, previous episodes in Brazilian history where the nation really seemed to hang on 
the president's health and the stakes were huge. And ultimately, the public found out that it was largely misled or kept in the dark about the severity of the president's health crisis, specifically the case of uh, Tancredo Neves, who uh, would have been the first civilian to assume the presidency after the military regime and who fell upon very ill health right before taking office. And there was this, you know, sophisticated sort of pantomime to the press to suggest that he was doing all right, that he was recovering. And ultimately, he did not. And I think that sense that this was the man who was widely seen as the most capable of leading the transition away from dictatorship back to democracy, that he died um, so sort of quickly and unceremoniously, this left, I do think, a long sort of trauma. Secondly, there is just a way in which Bolsonaro and those around him operates, which is to deliberately cultivate um, uncertainty and doubt about what is real, what is rumor, what is innuendo. And so I think particularly when it comes to the president's health, there have been all kinds of divergent narratives pushed by the president's family, by opponents, by critics, such that it's very hard sometimes to, to have a feeling that you have a strong grasp on the reality of the situation. And again, it's not clear how much of that uh, uncertainty is deliberate and how much of it is just uh, a sort of side effect of the president's style of politics. And if we go back a few more decades, the president's health created something of a scandal during the early days of the military dictatorship, didn't it? In the past, the fact that the vice president takes power if the president is somehow incapacitated for reasons of health or otherwise, this has led to some friction between political forces who might support the president, but not necessarily the vice president. Um, and this has to do a lot with the way that um, political power is shared and distributed in the Brazilian system. In other words, you might have a president and a vice president who, for reasons of political expediency and convenience, align, but who don't necessarily share a very kind of close political project. Um, one example of this was during the dictatorship, which, of course, uh, was under a fake democratic process for much of its existence, where there was a president who was nominally elected, but not really by the people. Um, and his vice president, this is uh, this the second president of the military regime, uh, General Costa Silva, his vice president was a civilian former congressman, uh, a very kind of serious civilian politician named Pedro Aleixo. When Costa Silva stepped away from the presidency in 1969 for reasons of ill health, Aleixo assumed, naturally, by the Constitution and, and, and by Brazilian practice, that he would be vice, uh, that he would be elevated from the vice presidency to the presidency. While the rest of the military high command said, absolutely not. And they barred, uh, what should have been the, the, the procedure of the vice president stepping in for the president. So that is one clear case of anxiety in the political class and those with political power about transferring power from a president to the vice president. And we do see some of that today with some of President Bolsonaro's most ardent supporters openly distrustful of Vice President Morón, who see him as, you know, trying to usurp Bolsonaro's support and his role that he won uh, in the election. Uh, and Morón, of course, will insist that he was on the ticket as well. 
and he that he is legitimate as well. Um, and so that tug of war um, will be interesting to watch, especially in light of recent Brazilian history, when Vice President for Dilma Rousseff, Michel Temer, was widely seen as having double-crossed her, as having betrayed her. And of course, this isn't a purely Brazilian phenomenon. I mean, we only need to go back to last year to remember the unsettling TV footage of Donald Trump struggling to breathe during a public address. Are there any other kind of prime international examples that come to mind? And is there a common thread between the government, states and leaders who kind of seek to keep these things under wraps regarding presidential health? Bolsonaro has had a number of health scares since he rose to national prominence, right? There was the stabbing in 2018 um, and more recently his COVID um, diagnosis and what seemed to be the continuing after effects of the stabbing um, up until today. Um, and there's a way in which he has sought to deploy the public sympathy that arises from this to his political advantage. I'm not sure there's any question about that. For example, in 2018, when he was stabbed, he, from that point on, did not participate in any more presidential debates. I would think even the president's defenders, his most ardent supporters, would say a debate is not his strongest setting. And by getting stabbed, which of course is a, a tragedy and, you know, no civilized democracy should accept that in his political contest, this gave Bolsonaro a way to escape that crucial public test in Brazil, in the Brazilian system, which is the debate to go up against seasoned politicians and seasoned uh, uh, practitioners of the political art of debate, Bolsonaro sidestepped that entirely, which undoubtedly redounded to his benefit. And it looks like, whether it's deliberate or not, uh, something similar might be happening uh, now, which is that in recent weeks, as the congressional inquiry into the, his administration's handling of coronavirus Bolsonaro was back in the hospital and published, publicizing images of himself in a hospital bed. That, I think, is telling. The fact that he wants it to be publicly known and publicly seen that he is in recovery, he's vulnerable, he's fragile. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that these images are released to a public um, in order to presumably garner sympathy. When Bolsonaro was dealing with COVID, he insisted that he was a he had an athlete's physique. He had a strong history that nothing would knock him down. And so that does not seem to align with the man who sends out images of him in an IV in a hospital, um, which leads one to imagine that there might be some political calculus going on here. In Bolsonaro's case, we saw the debacle over his first coronavirus test in March last year. And then when he did contract coronavirus, that was too was shrouded in mystery and now we have this latest hospital trip. What do you think is the benefit for Bolsonaro of kind of being less than forthright when it comes to his health? To the extent that there is a benefit in playing the sick card or the infirm or the ailed card, um, I think it rests on the ability to sow doubt. Going back again to the debates of, of 2018, Bolsonaro supporters insisted, no, no, no. He will participate in the debates as soon as he is well enough, that he is strong, he's going to recover from this attempt on his life, 
and come to the debate and he's going to show everybody just how well he does. Of course, that never happened. But I think that idea of leaving the door open, that look how much he has gone through and look how he still delivers. That, I think, is the needle that Bolsonaro and his supporters would like to thread. That this is a man who is trying desperately to do the work that he promised he would do is being held back by sinister forces of the establishment, but also um, beyond people who are trying to, to kill him. And the logic, of course, is that this would uh, curry favor and, uh, and public support. This is not a stretch to compare it to the thinking of Getulio Vargas, who in 1954 um, took his own life um, in an explicitly political act that totally upended the nation's political dynamics turning the tide against his opponents. Now, I don't think Bolsonaro is going to take his own life, but I, I don't think it's uh, uh, beyond reason to see that they're thinking of ways to use his political uh, uh, disadvantage um, to try to address that with his health issues, to try to see if they can find a way of shifting the narrative, because right now it's really bad nationally for the president with all these scandals closing in. So in a way, this is this might be a kind of desperate gambit to shift the narrative again in a way that has that presidents have done in the past, you know, often successfully. Another challenge resulting from an assassination attempt by an old member of the Socialism and Freedom Party, the radical arm of the Workers' Party. That's what Mr. Bolsonaro posted on social media from his hospital bed, saying that it was a cruel attack, not just against me, but against our democracy. And just to clarify, so obviously Bolsonaro is talking about his 2008 stabbing there, and Bolsonaro's assailant, Adelio Bispo, was indeed once affiliated with the PSOL, the Socialism and Freedom Party, but never had any association with the Workers' Party, which is currently led by former President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva. And medical examiners showed that Adelio has, quote, permanent paranoid delusional disorder, which makes him unfit for trial, and there is absolutely zero indication that he did not act alone. Yet, here we are in 2021, and Bolsonaro is still trying to link his 2018 assailant to the Workers' Party. So what kind of results do you think that could create for the 2022 election, considering that Lola will be his top challenger? One of the things Bolsonaro has done virtually since he was stabbed in 2018 is to try to make a political argument about that attempt on his life. He argued early on that this was a partisan attempt on his life because the man who stabbed him had supposedly at one point been a member of PSOL, the left-wing party. Now, multiple investigations have revealed there was no political partisan organization behind the attempt, but this has not stopped the president from trying to make that case. And he has already, ahead of next year's election, resuscitated that argument. It is not clear that this has stuck in the public consciousness, that this works as an argument for him. Now, it doesn't mean he won't try, but it just seems like um, amid all of the scandals uh, and the ups and downs of Brazilian politics in recent years, this is not an accusation. The idea that the attempt on his life was a partisan initiative, this does not seem like an idea that is sticking. And how do you see the rise of political violence in Brazil? 
Because in 2018, before that election, we saw Marielle Franco assassinated in Rio, Jair Bolsonaro stabbed, and also Lola's campaign bus was shot at during the same election period. I do not think we are on the precipice of mass political violence in Brazil. Um, there are some who do, that the rise of Bolsonaro and his entrenchment in power signals a really violent authoritarian turn um, across the, uh, every level of politics. Um, I'm not sure we are quite there yet. I think something like the death of Marielle Franco at the hands of Rio de Janeiro uh, paramilitary forces with links to the president um, that is still an anomaly. That is still an exceptional case. In fact, the fact that it hasn't been definitively solved um, sort of proves the rule of how exceptional this is, that uh, any other murder, high-profile murder by now, likely might have been resolved. But because this seems to touch on several political interests, um, the investigation does not seem to move forward. Um, and so I think that this is a part of Brazilian politics that... You know, fortunately, um, things are not so bad that this has become routine, that the assassination has become the norm. Again, Bolsonaro is continuing to try to make hay, political, uh, political hay out of the fact that he was, um, stabbed in 2018. But again, it does not seem like in 2022, this will have the powerful effect that it did last time. Um, we have not seen so far, Bolsonaro's numbers, uh, his approval ratings rebound um, after his stay in the hospital, which suggests, and this is very preliminary, but it suggests that the public is not going to be moved by these dramatic displays of vulnerability on the president's part. It suggests that his stabbing might not be yielding the political dividends that it once did. Thanks a lot, Andrea. It's always great to speak to you. If you like Explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a few seconds, but it's a huge help for us. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. Now, we offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.